sure he's all sweet and nice now. And, but this morning, and I told him I was going to tell you this, this morning when I was getting dressed, you know, when a woman gets up and speaks in front of people, she's got to look okay, you know. So I was, had the girls in there. I was trying to figure out what I was going to wear this morning. And I said, do you think I'm going to be too hot in this? I mean, I've got a sweater and then this on top, and, you know, it's a warmer day. And he said, well, when you're finished playing Batman, you can take the cape off. <laughs> nice, nice, very nice. So if I take the cape off, you know I'm finished playing Batman. Um, I'm going to have my girls actually come up first, and they have chosen a few friends to... Uh, involve in this uh, little endeavor we've got going. And we're going to play a game first off as an illustration. These are only, these beautiful grown-up ladies are only two of the, of the beauties in my life. My son you saw this morning, and I'm very proud of all three of them as they're grown up and moving on in their lives. But I still can rope them into things every now and then. So they are going to play a game called Bean Boozled. How many of you know this game? Bean boozled. No one? For real? Oh, yeah, McKenna's over there. She knows it. Okay, so there's a little spinner you guys won't be able to see. They're going to spin the spinner, and then they've got jelly bellies, and they are of different colors. Like, for instance, there's two white ones here. There's two white jelly beans, and one of them tastes like One of them tastes like coconut, and one of them tastes like baby wipes. <laughs> so if you spin and you hit the whites, then your team has to grab a white jelly bean and hope for the coconut and not the baby wipe, okay? And they get worse as the flavors. I'll have the girls read out what the flavors are. We're going to play a couple rounds of Bean Boozled and see how they do. Natalie is going to be on Samantha's team. Is that right? Okay, are you calling yourselves anything special? Okay, and then Madison's going to be on Michaela's team. You guys stand as far back as you can just so that everybody can see on the sides here. No, I mean around the back side of this. There you go. Okay, so round one, whoever's going first, you start spinning. Rock, paper, scissors to see who goes first. I can tell she's really wanting to do this. It's a high-class game. Let the children show you. They'll figure it out. Okay, Tutti Fruity or Stinky Socks? What is it? Tutti Fruity. Tutti Fruity. Tutti Fruity. Woo! They lucked out. We got Tutti Fruity on both cases here. Okay. Lime or lawn clippings. All right. Split it up. If you both get lawn clippings or you both get lime, here you go. Lime. There's lime. Oh, wow. This is no fun at all. No one's getting the bad ones. Okay. Let's see. One more round. 
peach or barf? Okay, now Samantha's the only one who hasn't gotten a really foul-tasting one, so we'll let them go one more time just so she can get one. You can take your Bean Boozled down. So if anybody ever asks you to play Bean Boozled, don't do it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you, girls. Can you give them a round of applause here for being willing to do that? They have to get gum to chew afterwards. <laughs> I love it. So... I love this game, and what had happened is Samantha had played this. No, go ahead and push it back. Thanks. Samantha had played this game with Natalie, and she had filmed the whole thing because the, it was so funny, you know, having each of them try it. And I wanted to actually have the clip because it was, you know, they played a few rounds of it. And each time Natalie would pick up the bean, she would look at it real intensely, and then she would smell it, almost like putting it all the way up her nose trying to smell to see which one it was. And then she'd finally take a bite of it, and then the reactions were priceless, you know, because this is the first time she'd done it. So what that immediately brought to mind was the idea of the fact that sometimes when you bite into something, it's not what it should be, right? And there's a passage in Scripture that is actually in Matthew. Actually, if you want to put the first slide up, I'm talking about living inside the cup. And TJ, this cup is just for you. I thought you'd really like it. <laughs> so um, in Matthew 23, in the next uh, slide, starting in verse 2 and 3. So turn to Matthew 23 with me. And this is verses 2 and 3. And this is Jesus speaking about the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, we are all leaders. And I know that's been kind of spoken both through leader cast and just because of Mother's Day and the fact that we're leaders in our homes. We're leaders in the people that 
whose lives we impact and where we have influence. And so taking the instructions to the scribes and Pharisees is taking the instructions to those people who are in the church, who are in areas of leadership. And we can really take this on. So it says in verse, well, I'm going to start in verse 1, because this is Jesus speaking, and I wanted to make sure we knew that. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and, and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you and observe, but do, do therefore all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. Okay, so they weren't what they professed to be. They were doing the whole do as I say, not as I do thing. Now, as mothers, have we been there? Do as I say, not as I do. If you're in any position of leadership, you're sometimes caught where you're saying, do as I say, not as I do. Then go down to verse 25 through 28. I don't know why I'm trying to read that that far away. I probably should just open my own Bible, right? Makes sense. I'm a little nervous. So it says in verses 25 through 28, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So you get what was going on here was that these were the teachers of the law and the leaders. They were putting themselves in the seat of Moses, which is basically they were people of influence. They were people of leadership. They had leadership positions inside the church and we have those leadership positions whether we're a mother a father sister brother whether we live with a, a large family or we have co-workers that we can influence or whatever it may be in our life we have positions of influence and leadership and sometimes there is that um, accusation of hypocrisy and sometimes people will say, I don't want to come to the church because it's full of hypocrites. And so this is really dealing with it. And honestly, it was something that Jesus was very worried about. And he spoke about often saying that, you know, this was happening and something that really upset him because he knew how detrimental it was to the kingdom of God and to the growth of the church and to your witness and your testimony and all these different things. Um, so let's first talk about the cup. Okay? I specifically picked this picture of the cup. Can you click it to the next slide? I don't have a clicker here. I specifically picked this picture of the cup because the outside looks pretty nasty. Wouldn't you agree? But if you kind of look inside, it's not as bad, right? Or do you guys think, no way, I would never drink of that, just like I'm never going to play that bean-boozled game? Okay, but the outside of this cup is pretty terrible, but the inside gives a hint that it might be actually cleaner than the outside. Well, this is not what Jesus said here. In fact, in these verses, he said that they were washing the outside of the cup and, and worrying about that. I think what happens in our lives when we become 
when people believe we're being hypocritical is because it's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to follow after God. There is a high bar there, the things that he tells us to do, the way that he asks us to act, how much he wants us to love and be kind and not to respond in anger and not to be out for self and all these different things that really are difficult for us and they're counterintuitive to our nature, right? That's something we would naturally do it this way and God's trying to teach us to do it a different way. So it's very difficult, and at a certain point, we can begin to think, well, I just can't do this, so I will tuck in the pieces that show, and I'll carry on that way. So this is where we get that kind of hypocritical thing going on, is we, we fail in many areas of our life to live up to the standard of, of Jesus and the example of Jesus, and instead of continuing to try, we grow weary in trying and failing, and so we decide we'll just cover up the things people see. So we say, well, I'm going to go to church. But that, or trying to read my Bible and stuff like that, I just don't have time. It just gets, and I always feel bad. And so I'll go to church. That's something people can see. If they know I'm still there, they'll know I'm, I'm doing good. Or we say, you know, I'm going to dress the part, my cape and all. I'm going to dress the part but, and, and really keep it together on Sundays. You know, I won't try not to yell at the children. I'll talk nice to my husband. Uh, I'll be nice to people. But, you know, the other days of the week, it's kind of free. And so we, we try to make it work because it's hard not to measure up. It's hard to not be able to reach the goal of, of Jesus. And so that's when we get that temptation to kind of wash the outside of the cup and make it look all nice, but not worry too much about what's going on inside the cup. So um, in our culture, in our, in our nation, we have the ability to wash things really well. There's a lot of other places that you can go and travel in other countries, and their ability to wash things is not good. I mean, when you go down to Mexico, don't drink the water, don't eat the ice. Why? Because they don't wash it the way that we wash it. And as, as detailed as we get all that stuff out of there. And so we, we get sick if we partake in their water. And other places you can go, you can see people washing their dishes or washing their clothes down at the river. Heaven's sakes, would any of you be out there doing that? No. Because to us, we're like, we got to keep it clean. We want to make sure that what we're drinking out of, we're eating off of, that all those things are clean so that we stay well and all this kind of stuff. But sometimes we're teaching our kids and we're teaching uh, each other to go ahead and clean everything outside, but don't worry about what's inside. Um, Michaela and I have been doing this uh, clean eating. I don't know if you've, pr you've been doing maybe the 30, what, what, whole 30? Is that what's going around right now where everybody's doing the whole 30 which is eating clean for 30 days and making sure that you eat good things and don't put a lot of junk into your body. And people are actually having detox because all the stuff we normally eat has so much junk in it. And so it, we take in things that aren't really good for us, but we really want to eat them on clean plates. Right? Is that true of us in a natural perspective too? So in Scripture, when I was studying about this particular passage about the cup, it says, the rule is, cleanse first that which is within, not only, but first. 
So if you had a choice between a cup that was clean on the outside and dirty on the inside, or you had a choice between one that was clean on the inside but dirty on the outside, which one would you choose? Clean on the inside. So the rule still stands. The rule is cleanse the inside first, cleanse first that which is within, not only, but first. And in this scripture in verse uh, uh, 26, it's, it actually says, <coughs> first cleanse the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. So this is talking about by me cleaning that inside of the dish. Now, obviously, it's talking about me, right? It's talking about my heart, cleaning what's inside here. By cleaning the inside of it, I'm going to actually get the outside clean. So what that's talking about is if I give up on living my Christian life in a way that pleases the Lord, because it's too hard and I keep failing at it. If I say, I'm just going to do the stuff that people see on the outside. I'm, I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to wear nice clothes. I'm going to, you know, be good. If I do that, then I haven't affected the inside of my person at all. I'm still the same on the inside. But if I instead say, God, here, there's an area in my life where I'm just failing all the time. And, and I'm going to go to your word and I'm going to figure out, you know, what you say about it. And I'm just going to keep trying and keep trying. If something inside me changes and God is able to do a, a work inside me, then the outside of me begins to look better too. So uh, going back to the clean eating, the, the 30, whole 30, you're changing what you're putting inside. Is that going to change what happens outside? Yeah, it is. But if you just change what happens outside, you're not changing anything that's going on inside. So by cleaning the inside first, which is the rule, cleanse first that which is within, not only but first, then the outside's going to be affected and have change. Okay. So go to the next slide. These are the people that are inside my cup. Okay, so my life is that cup. These are the people right now that are inside the cup of my life. So if I'm letting the cup be dirty but cleaning the outside real nicely, these are the people that are affected by that dirty cup. These are the people that have to endure living with me inside the dirty cup. My wonderful daughter, her husband's not with us, so I didn't put him in the picture, Michaela. Uh, Danica and Spencer over there, that's so cute. I think that was an engagement picture of the two of them. Or maybe their honeymoon. Honeymoon. And then, of course, the twins down in the bottom picture. <laughs> Spencer and Samantha, who just turned 18. I'm sorry, Brian and Samantha. <laughs> I know who it is, I promise. So... Brian and Samantha. Uh, Samantha's just turned 18, so I'm at the end of raising my kids, which is a wonderful feeling. But I realize I don't have the same role in their lives and impact that I used to have. I used to tell them, this is what you'll do, this is what you'll wear, this is how things are going to go. And now when I talk to Samantha, although with Samantha it's been a little different, she's always different, uh, now, when I speak to them, it is, is only in an advisory capacity. 
I just say, well, here's what I'm thinking. You know, if I was you, I would this or that. And sometimes they just look at me and shake their head and go do whatever they were going to do anyhow. Because I'm the mother of adults. And nobody said this was going to be this hard. Because I am now this capacity where I just influence. I don't really control a lot of what they do. But they still are affected by what's in the cup with me. They're living inside the cup with me. So this is why it's important to cleanse first that inside because the people who are living in the cup with you will thank you. They'll thank you when they don't get sick of what they see inside the cup. So the next example they give in 25 through 28 is the whitewashed tombs. Oh, this, that's the, I'm sorry, I didn't, I missed the slide. I don't have it up here, I'm sorry. So this is cleaning the dish. This is cleaning the dish. And women, do we know how to clean the dish? Okay, so this is something we do all the time. Clean the inside of the dish first, and then, you, then the outside will become clean as well. Um, in Mark 7 there and Isaiah 29, 13, I just wanted to sh- bring out that in Mark 7 it says, the, um, the, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And it's a repeat of a uh, prophecy of Isaiah way back in the Old Testament where Isaiah said the very thing. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's the same idea. That cup that's dirty inside but clean on the outside. It looks real good. It shows real nice, but their hearts are far from me. Their lips say, yes, I'm a Christian. I go to church, and their hearts are far from him. So it was happening all the way back, and it was happening all the way forward, and it's happening today. And it's one of the main reasons that people will state that they don't come to church, because they've met us. And they say, their their lips say that they're Christians, but their hearts, because people pick up on that really quickly, that genuineness, whether you're genuine or not. So then the, the other example is the whitewashed tombs. Now, this is the best picture I could get of whitewashed tombs. They also have it in, like, uh, the national cemeteries where you see all those nice tombs all stood in a row, and it looks so neat. Well, in Jewish tradition, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees here. In Jewish tradition, each year they would go out and paint these tombs with white paint. Now, the reason that they did that was because they considered if you touched anything that touched a dead body, that you would be unclean. And that's in Numbers, back where they they gave all the law and all the rules. So if you touched anything that was unclean, then you would be unclean or you would defile yourself in some way. So they'd go paint these tombstones white so that they would be able to see them at a distance. Now, I don't know how hard it would be to miss a tombstone, but maybe they were small or something at a certain point. But these are obviously not small So they took care every year to whitewash, to paint with white paint, the tombstone so that they would be easily discovered and might be avoided. So when Jesus is saying to the Pharisees here, or to the leaders, to the moms, to those who are people of influence and the lives of others, they know exactly what he's saying when he calls them whitewashed tombs. He's saying, you should be painted white so people can avoid you and not get defiled. Now, when we look at the scripture, we say, well, they're whitewashed tombs because they're clean on the outside and, you know, dead bones on the inside. And that's part of it, just like with the cup that he's talking about. But the other part of it is that they were identified as being, don't go over there. 
that's going to lead you in a wrong direction. You're going to end up defiled if you accidentally get in contact with this one. So when he was calling the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, he was saying you should be painted white and avoided. And they were hearing that because they knew what whitewashed tombs were. Here we just think it looks nice in Washington National Cemetery that they're all so pretty and stand in a row. But in the Jewish religion in, their, in that time, he knew exactly what that meant. And I think when we're hypocritical and we don't live a life that reflects a genuine, you know, serving the Lord, even if we're failing at it, even if we're making mistakes, even if we're, you know, not, not uh, always perfect, that pretty soon people are going to say, don't avoid that person. Avoid that person because, you know, they look good, but you don't want to talk to them. You don't want to get pulled into that. So that's what he's saying here. So those two examples are pretty, uh, pretty negative, wouldn't you say? I mean, he's kind of getting down on these guys pretty heavy. And I know it's Mother's Day, and we always want to lift up the mothers and say, you know, how great it is that you've given all of your time and energy and put it into the lives of these kids. And here I am talking about being hypocritical. But we are in a leadership role, and I think what's most important to the heart of a mother is for her children to serve the Lord. Would you agree? More important than anything we teach them is that we connect with them that they serve the Lord. And when we have one who's chosen to go a different direction, it grieves our hearts, and we struggle with it. And we, we continue to reach out because we're saying, this is my baby, the thing that I love more in the whole world I cannot let this go. This is, has to work out. They have to find the Lord because, you know, I love them so much. And so as I come to the end of raising my kids, and I am very blessed that they serve the Lord, I realize that isn't because I'm a really great mom. I mean, if you guys all thought that, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. That isn't because I'm a really great mom. I mean, I... I tell stories all the time about Spencer uh, before he was here. I do it less now that he's here. <laughs> but I told stories on Spencer. I, would, I called my mom up at one time, and I said, Mom, he's going to be an axe murderer. That's just it. He just won't listen to anything I say. He won't do anything I say. I just, there's, his ears are not attached to his brain. That's what ha an axe murderer is like that, right? My mom was like, okay, you're having a bad day. But, you know, there's, it's not because I was so great at it. I struggled. I struggled. So I had to say, okay, God, it's not because I'm a great mom that my kids grew up serving the Lord. What is it? And it's really this idea of genuineness. It's this idea of genuineness because they live in the cup with you. Because they live inside the cup with you. So what my kids saw growing up wasn't perfection isn't perfection. So in, in, unless you thought that, I want to just burst that bubble right now. Go to the next slide for me. There's a quote here that I found, and it's a little bit longer than this. It was talking about, you know, the gospel and having it be palatable to the world. And it, I picked it up in the middle here, but that's kind of what it was talking about. It says, not uh, I'm, I can't see the top line of that. Can you pull that down? I don't know why it's hitting that way on the back screen. Oh, there it is. 
What the market wants is to escape from weakness, not power in weakness. To meet the need of the market, the message must be distorted, and often is. But by distorting the message to make it more immediately appealing, two things are lost. So uh, get, if, make sure you're with me here. The marketplace is obviously where we're trying to put the gospel out there and have people engage it, okay? Are they going to buy what we're selling? Now, obviously, it's not a, a buy and sell thing with the kingdom of God, but that's kind of the language that they're using, business language. And they're saying what the marketplace wants is to escape from weakness. That's what we were talking about, about hypocrisy. It, we don't like the fact that living the Christian life means our weaknesses kind of hang out there, and we're constantly having to deal with them. And, you know, it's not that we get to escape them and we all get to have no weaknesses. That would be great if we could take a pill, if we could sign up for a class, if we could whatever it may be, and it was done. That's the way we would go, each one of us. And it says here, but they not, what they don't want, is what we're selling, power in weakness. Power in weakness. Because God doesn't say, you come to me, I'll change you in an instant, and you'll be perfect. You will float four inches above everybody else on the ground, and your life will be roses. That's not what he's selling. That's what people want, but it's not what he's selling. He's saying power in weakness. To meet the need of the market, the message must be distorted, and often is. So when you hear that message going out that says, if you give your heart to the Lord, it is your life will change and be perfect from then on out. That's great. People are going to come in droves to give their life to the Lord. But what's the problem with that? It's not true. It's not real. And people are going to come in, give their heart to the Lord with that as the desired result, and then be very disappointed when what they get is power in weakness. What would you do if that's what you thought you were buying and you ended up with power in weakness? You ended up with those same weaknesses, but God was saying, I'll give you power to get through it. I'll give you power to overcome. I'll give you power to be victorious. And you say, well, that's not what I bought. That's not what I wanted. So if we distort the message... By distorting the message to make it more immediately appealing, two things are lost. We already said, the true message. It's not going to be true. They're going to come to the Lord, give their heart to the Lord, and go, that's a bunch of bunk. What they said didn't happen. And then the church gets a bad reputation. We as Christians get a bad reputation of just not being truthful, of being hypocrites, because life isn't that way. But the second one is not talked about as often, but is a lot more deadly. The second one says, we miss what's lost is the chance to meet the really deep need that we all have. So the really deep need that we all have is to know that there is a way out of where we're at. Um, going into Romans, if you have not read Romans 7 and 8 and you are struggling with God, I just can't get this done. I just can't, you know, the Christian life is asking me to, to change so many things. And it's hard and I fail and I just don't know. I think I'm not doing this right or something. Everyone else must have an easier time at this than I do. If you think that, then these scriptures are for you. 
This is talking about the felt need, the, the deep need that's really there, that if we mar the scripture, we just clean the outside of the cup and try to look good, these needs won't be met in our kids, in the people that we influence, in the lives that we touch. In chapter 7 of Romans, if I start in verse uh, 15, it's very, um, it's a verse that I'm sure you've heard before, but it's good because it's what's happening in our lives. It says, for that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I am doing the very thing I hate. Are you there? Have you been there? But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now no longer I'm the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the wishing is present within me. I love that line. The wishing is present within me. I wish I was a better person. I wish I was kinder. I wish I was more loving. I wish it was easier for me to forgive. I wish that I had all the time to devote to my friends and loved ones that I want to be able to devote for them. All the wishing is present in me. I really do honestly wish that. But that's all it is, is wishing. That's all that's present within me. That's what it says here in 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the wishing is present within me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not wish. Now, this is the need in the heart of each person. This is what they're experiencing. So if you're a mom, this is what your kid's going through. Your kid's going through the fact that when they try to live for God, they fail miserably. You know, when, it's, when they're this big and it's just about, you know, I gave a piece of candy to my friend, they're really excited about the fact that they've been so perfect. But when they start to figure out that he's interested in what their heart is doing and that he has a desire for them to be clean on the inside, way deep inside, then they start going, that is just too hard. I can't do that. So if I pretend that I am clean, if I just wash the outside of the cup, what happens to those little ones who are in the cup with me when they're struggling with this deep need? They see me. They don't see that I'm doing very well. They don't see victory in my life. They don't see that God's done anything for me. They see me dressed up nice every Sunday, but when they're home with me inside that cup, they don't see it. This is that deep need. This is that deep need. And this is why it's so important that we don't clean the outside of the cup and leave the inside dirty where they live, where they live. Now, lest I get you all um, discouraged, I, I want to tell you that Jesus gave us a plan that doesn't require us to be perfect, okay? So unless you're thinking, oh, great, now you've put a guilt trip on me that my kids aren't going to serve the Lord if I don't act perfect, if I don't figure out all these things, if I don't live my life in perfectness. Go to the next slide. Here's the great thing about God. He says, in your weakness, I am strong. 
So I am weak when it comes to being able to do and accomplish things in my life to please the Lord. And so I get frustrated with myself, and I, I, just, I just feel stupid. But my kids have told me, as they've grown into being adults, that where they learned the most was when I had to go back and apologize because I had so screwed up. That's where they learned the most. That's where they saw God the most. That's where they knew it was real the most. So the answer isn't be perfect. In fact, the answer, it wouldn't be good for you to be perfect because then how would your kids know? Because they're not perfect. How would they know how to get there? So what the Bible is saying is you have, you, you have failings, you have lack, you have weakness. This is great. And you go, oh, no, it's not. I'm totally destroyed when I can't do these things. I'm so upset with myself. I'm so, you know, bent out of shape. And he says, no, 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 it's great. When you're weak, I'm going to be strong. And your kids are going to see my strength. Your family's going to see my strength. Your coworkers are going to see my strength when you're weak. When you panic and start running around like the sky is falling, and then the Spirit of the Lord comes in and gives you assurance that he's in control, and you're able to just kind of take a breath and go, okay, God's got this. What your friends and family and your kids are going to see is not that mom is perfect. They're going to see that mom is losing it a little bit, but God is big enough to do this. So the answer that he's given us for failings and, and wanting to kind of keep the outside of the cup clean is avoid that. Don't do that. Because my plan is that when you fail, my forgiveness rushes in. My love ru rushes in. My covering rushes in. And then your kids get to see that. So I'm not a good mom. I just follow the Lord and let them watch. That's what he's saying. You don't have to be. You're looking at becoming a parent. You're at the stage now where you're saying, I can't raise these kids. I can barely keep my life together. What God is saying is take a load off. As you follow me and they watch you, that's when they're going to see God in your life. That's when they're going to see the power of the Spirit in your life. When you're sitting there going, God, I don't know what to do. We don't have enough money for rent. I've done everything I can. My strength is gone. And then God comes in and provides. And your kids go, Mom, that was God. And you go, yeah, it was. Then they know it's true. Then they know it's not a hypocritical thing. Or when you have a fight with your friend and because you're a Christian, you go and you, you, you apologize and you humble yourself and you say, you know what, friend, I was terrible. I was having a bad day and, you know, I, I said things I shouldn't have said and, you know, I wasn't pleasing to the Lord and I fail all the time in this. But I ask you to forgive me and your kids overhear it. Do your kids think, oh, my mom's such a dipstick. <laughs> I know mine did sometimes, but no, they think, wow, she really believes this. Wow, God really changed her. Wow, 
She humbled herself. I told the story in, in the Wednesday night class of when I was trying to go through this a little bit. My children were quite young, and I was trying to take on some issues in my own life. And I told the story about the missionaries that came to visit our church. It's hard being a pastor's wife when you're growing like this because you really, your selfishness comes out and it's very hard to hide because you're kind of out there for everybody. So I was eating uh, sourdough toast with frozen jam, re, uh, raspberry freezer jam. If you have ever had raspberry freezer jam, my grandma Ona his grandma Ona used to make it. It was so wonderful. Sourdough toast with raspberry freezer jam. And so I would eat this every morning. I loved it. Brian, not so much. You know, he doesn't eat breakfast that much. Well, the missionaries came over, and they, of course, were from another country. They didn't have all these great things. And when they came over, Brian, wanting to bless them, got into our freezer and was pulling out all sorts of stuff for them to give them to bless them while they were here. And so what he, wouldn't you know, he takes all the freezer jam, and gives it to the missionaries. I was so mad. <laughs> but I can't say anything because, I mean, we're standing in the, the parsonage. And we're standing in the church, the, the, the house the church owns. And I'm, he's giving food to the missionaries. There was just no way for me to say anything. But I just stood there. And then after the missionaries leaves, I said, sure, you're going to give him the, them the freezer jam. That's not something you ate. It's something I ate. You gave away what I eat. And I was really mad. And so in the car the next day, as we were driving around, the kids were in the back seat. You know, the kids are always in the back seat, and we sometimes forget they're there, and they overhear lots of stuff. And so we were sitting there, and I said to Brian, I'm, I'm sorry about the way I reacted about the freezer jam. I was selfish, and... And I apologize. And I don't remember if it was Spencer or Michaela, but one of them popped up from the back seat and said, oh, that's the first time you've ever been selfish, huh, Mom? <laughs> so then all of a sudden my kids see that I'm selfish, number one, which if you're th trying to act like the perfect parent, that's just shot to pieces right away. But they hadn't heard that before because I was trying to look really good. And then they started hearing, Mom's not perfect. Mom was really selfish. She wouldn't even give the missionaries the freezer jam. <laughs> and then they realized, God's working on Mom. It's good that God's working on Mom. She needs it. <laughs> but they see God working on Mom. And then they go, if God can change Mom, I'm pretty sure God can change me. That is where you get that investment of changing the lives of your kids. It's God's plan. And like the word says, his burden is light and it's easy because he's not saying be perfect. Get that out of your head, mom. You're not perfect. I'm sorry if that crushes some of you. You are not perfect. But if you will follow God in front of your kids, they will see and follow. Because in the first passage we read where it said, do all the things that they say, but don't do what they do. How many, does that work with kids? Has it worked with any of your kids? Because it doesn't work with mine. If I say, do this, and then I do something different, they are going to do exactly what I do. That is what's going to happen. But God said, don't worry. You don't have to do that do what I say, not what I do thing, and try to get your kids to grow in the Lord. All you have to do is 
follow the Lord and let them watch. And all your weaknesses, I'm going to be strong. And they're going to see the strength of God. And they're going to go, that's the God I want to follow. Not just your kids, your coworkers, your friends. Maybe it's your parents you're trying to live this out in front of. Maybe it's your coworkers you're trying to live this out in front of. And when you mess up really bad, you say, oh, no one's going to come to my church. I just shouted at everybody and lost my cool. False. When you go back and make it right, those people are going to want to come to your church because it's genuine. It's the real McCoy. The cup is clean on the inside. Yeah, it's got a little dirt on the outside still, but the cup is clean on the inside. It's not full of dead men's bones. It's not full of falseness. I don't know about you, but that always made me relax because I could know, okay, God, you've got this. I'm going to mess up, and you're going to swoop in. I'm going to fail, and you're going to be strong. I'm going to miss the mark, and you're going to fill in the gap. And that's how my kids are going to grow up serving the Lord. Not because I'm perfect, but because you are. Bow your heads with me.